Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. And this is ForsLegacy.html. Woohoo! It's so nice to be firmly in the series now. And by firmly in the series, I mean we're on the second produced episode, but it's firmly enough in the series for me. Yeah, we are in the space that I would call the Clone Wars proper after having bounced around watching different episodes from later in the run that are flashbacks, which is a format that I find really confusing and wasn't really helped by this episode either. That is definitely something that I just keep thinking, like, how would I know? Because I know some things are out of order. I guess you've really got to be paying attention to those opening bumpers. That's true. Now, the series has given me a lot more than I expected by this point. Forgetting the Gendi, which was sort of like the precursor, kind of like the episode zero, we've had a number of characters from the film franchise, some new characters in the form of Grievous and Ventress and Ahsoka, and I'm really grateful for all of that. I think I'm getting a little bit annoyed that I, I don't know, it feels like Obi-Wan and Anakin are so at odds so frequently, I find myself unsure how they were ever like close. And obviously that's a dynamic that they're going to have to explore and let play out as it leads into Star Wars Episode 3. But I also kind of need some visual evidence of the fact that they were friends. When I finally get to Obi-Wan shouting at Anakin that he was like his brother, I kind of need to feel that. And we've barely seen the characters together so far. And when they do, he's mostly just scolding Anakin and telling him that he's wrong. I'm not saying that Obi-Wan is necessarily always wrong when he does that. But like, aren't they supposed to be friends? I agree. I feel like there's something to be said for the way that they're trying to artificially stretch out this emotional narrative two leaves with them kind of at a weird place so this is trying to ride that weird place i don't know there's a whole lot of humanization to anakin's time with ahsoka that i kind of feel like i know is a fact is not in the third movie and i like your use of the word stretch because i think that is perhaps what we are seeing and it's something that i noted as we were watching the first few episodes with general grievous they try to impose this sense of urgency that they're going to hunt grievous down and they've wanted him for a while and I'm like I know that there's over a hundred episodes of this left to go and I know you're not going to dispatch of Grievous here and I understand that you're trying to tell a story and that the characters are living it as it goes but I know this isn't going to happen here and you can only rely on that sense of urgency so many times before it's going to become repetitive. But you know that's kind of like the Star Wars universe MO you know the outcome of the prequels at the beginning. This is true. The items we'll be going over in today's episode, if you look to the official Star Wars chronological episode order, are items 6 through 11, which is episodes 2 through 7 of the first season of Star Wars Clone Wars. It is nice that we get to go on a uh, straight stretch for a little while. It was a relief instead of having to scramble to find the remote and be like, wait, no, we have to figure out what episodes... Just let it ride. Thanks, D+. Nah. 
The three-part malevolence arc was written by Stephen Melching and directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell, who directed Supply Lines that we've already discussed. Stephen Melching also wrote episode five, Rookies, which was directed by Justin Ridge. And episodes six and seven were directed by Rob Coleman and written by George Kirstick, and then Kevin Campbell and Henry Gilroy, respectively. So a few names that we've already seen before. And that's something that I think works for Star Wars, well, better or for worse. They sure love their small click. And hey, if that's how you can keep that narrative streamlined, go for it. I recently saw a thing where George Lucas said at some point something like, oh, I might have gone too far here or there. And, you know, good to see that there was a stable group of people trying to keep this grounded. I don't know that I would call the introduction to the Domino Squad that we saw the prequel for stable necessarily, but let's dive into the malevolence first. I really liked this arc in its entirety. This three-parter was a lot of fun, but I just kept feeling like it could be over at the end of the first and second part. Yeah, it's something that they made a meal out of that I don't necessarily feel had to be one. If it was this significant a story, it feels odd that it's not in a movie. I feel like that's a recurring feeling I'm going to have as we go through these non-movie bits of canon. I feel like I'm going to encounter a lot of things where I'm like, but if, if that was so big, why wasn't it in one of the tentpole films? And, you know, I actually think they do a lot to make this seem like it should be that big right away. The action sequence and the following scenes, you see Dooku, Grievous, Anakin, Ahsoka, Palpy. It's such a loaded crew at any given time. I do see what you mean. It's kind of frustrating that it's not taken more seriously, I guess. But, I mean, who's not taking it seriously? Our past selves? You know, what was nice to see was another Jedi Master that I felt like I could root for. Master Plo, caring so much about his clone troopers and keeping hope alive and working to do everything he can to help as many people as he can. I thought that was really cool. I really hope they don't do anything to make me regret these words about that character. And I actually thought that if it hadn't been for seeing those clone episodes earlier on, I might not have appreciated this episode in all of the ways I did. So for that matter, I guess I am pretty pleased with the watch order. That's true. If we had watched this as episode two instead, we might not have had the same sense of the clone's mistreatment by a lot of the military force. And not just the mistreatment, but for me, that sequence where the spaceship spins around and everybody inside it's dead, I felt like I cared more because I felt like the clones were realer. They weren't clones, they were characters that happened to have the same face. And once again, this is some extreme violence for a Star Wars cartoon show that I had really not been expecting. Uh, Some of the stuff is far beyond what they even do in the movies. I'm not saying it's bad necessarily, I'm just very surprised. I was also pretty surprised that Anakin brought Ahsoka into the fray. I understand that that's like a Jedi's job, always put your lightsaber where it doesn't belong. But I did feel like for a guy who's constantly like, no, stay out of trouble. She is kind of like able to get into a lot of trouble. Like he might just be a really bad Jedi master. Well, I don't think many people would argue with that. I still feel a little confused about Ahsoka's age. 
I'm not quite sure I understand how old she is supposed to be versus how much Anakin views her as incredibly young, and I think I might need to read up a little bit on that to better understand what I'm supposed to be feeling. Because, like, if she's supposed to be, like, even 13 here, she's only going to be, like, 16 at the most by the end of the Clone Wars series. So I don't know how much of an adult she's going to end up being versus the fact that they treat her like a child now. Like, they need to figure out the narrative of what they want to do with this character, I think. And I think part of it is also, like, okay, so... You know how after Clueless came out, until about 2003, every adult said, whatever, and made the two little check marks next to each other and thought they were so clever? I kind of feel like that's a little bit what Ahsoka is suffering from. She's suffering from this is what adults think kids talk like. Okay, I get that. So I don't disagree in the least that she's maybe not as consistent as I would like, but I do think part of that is that, you know, when you want to have somebody with an authentic voice from a specific culture, you bring them in. When you want to have somebody with an authentic voice on an expertise you bring in an expert when you want to have a child's voice you can't really just like bring in a kid so i do understand the difficulty but i think that ahsoka plays way too young a lot i completely agree speaking of things that we see way too much a lot in this series look i get it star wars dialogue is iconic this is a star wars series and you're trying to make it popular so you put in as many references as you can and i really appreciate a lot of the iconography of the malevolence and its its firing sequence trying to echo sequences from a new hope from 1977 all of that's really cool but like some of the dialogue is too much all the time and I'm starting to not be able to take it because I'm a person who is able to recognize even such small lines as this one goes here, that one goes there from Empire Strikes Back and I definitely caught that and I can't be persuaded that that was not intentional. It really feels like every single episode and if it wasn't the fact that it's frequently everyone saying they have a bad feeling about something maybe it wouldn't be as annoying. I really see where you're coming from with that. For me it keeps being that Ahsoka keeps falling into every major fight she can. Like, Ahsoka at the end of this episode being like, no, I know Master Plo is alive. We have to go save him. I'm going to take control of the ship. Like, Anakin, you're a terrible driving instructor because you need to pull that super clutch brake thing because she crazy and you're all going to get pretty killed. And I don't want to see you die, Annie. I want to see you thrive. We'd all like to see that. I... Do see where you're coming from, not to jump too far ahead, but the droid episode where she takes on an entire droid army with a small group of clone soldiers and she's like standing in the middle of a ton of laser fire and I'm like... Again, I thought she was a child, and she's in the middle of a battle that we were told would take down Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan in episode one. It's remembering the scale that you've set for yourselves, you know? And... I love the amount of development that goes into this character because that she's sort of how they make Master Plo so emotionally important right away really helps me, especially in the third episode. I really felt like, you know, there was a lot of danger for the fluidity of the show to be icky because of the time jumping. But this malevolence arc early on really helped me to understand all of these characters. I feel like I care about Master Plo. I feel like I care about Ahsoka. And, you know, I I continue to care about my central narrative characters. And while they're unfocused, I think the clones and the new characters really are selling the deal for me. Okay, I totally see that. I definitely can see where 
where the newer characters we we are being introduced to for this narrative are a little more focused than the ones we already knew. I think that's especially evidenced by the introduction of Padme into this three-parter in episode three. Like, I wonder how many times we are going to see Anakin ignore orders to save Padme in this series. At least she told him not to do it, and she was being a badass and pretty much saving herself. But, like, another thing that's going to get repetitive when their marriage is supposed to be a secret. And, you know, it is also sort of that disconnect emotionally from the concrete of the films that, like, rescuing the clones did give a lot of emotion. And I really appreciated all of it. But I don't know that it's playing out with the emotion that I'm looking for. And... You know, I think part of it is because of the self-fulfilling prophecy of the narrative itself. They're talking about the malevolence, this ship that is not in the films, period. This ship does not appear in a major way in episodes two or three, where they talk about the great and powerful malevolence captained by Grievous. Like, I know there is a finite quality to the threat of this ship, which makes it less scary. You know, when you call it indestructible, I just get very, oh my god, Titanic syndrome. And the fact that we know it absolutely must be destructible. And on the one hand, it is a decent showing of the hardship of this war to help increase the emotional impact of episode three. You know, we see the very beginning of this war at the end of episode two, and we see what's basically the very ending of this war at the beginning of episode three, as it leads into the rise of the new empire. But we don't really have a full sense of what the war was like, and that is one of my chief complaints about the films. But I do like the ways they try to kind of bind it together. I literally wrote in my notes, just like Annie, to lead them through a giant field of monsters that explicitly want to eat them. That's so Anakin. And I think we see bits of that here and there. But, you know, it's so hard to make the side stories of the major characters the star. I liked that sequence, though, where Anakin is leading the caravan of fighters all traveling together. It's not really something that we see much in the films, apart from episode four, that evoked very strong images of World War II fighter planes that I know George Lucas was inspired by. And, you know, I actually really like the Malevolence arc conceptually. It's a big ship that needs to be destroyed, and you know, that's kind of like Star Wars' favorite thing. I'm cool with it. But simultaneously, I feel like it was thoroughly dealt with in the first two episodes in a way that the third episode sort of lacked gravity in a way. I understand it wasn't destroyed at the end of the second episode, but it was explicitly made less threatening. And the ship is this strong focus, so we don't really have to deal with defeating any of the central narrative bad guys right now, or the introduced bad guys. We're just breaking a ship. And especially because a lot of the things they padded this final episode with, the whole sequence of Anakin and Padme on the trains, which I loved seeing the trains because I've been thinking a lot lately about how big these Star Destroyer type ships are and how that would probably be necessary to get from place to place in one of them. Anakin being like, I'll force grab you as you jump. I don't believe that's something I have ever heard before, but I'm loving some of the stuff this cartoon comes out with because I don't ever want to hear anything about the sequel trilogy ever again. Everything I ever needed to validate Kylo and Rey playing Force Tug of War with that ship was kind of validated for me by Anakin force grabbing Padme. I was also not amused by the way he force pushed her out of the room when they were ambushed and she was just sort of like, LOL, it's fine. No. Practice. Hmm. I 
want to go back a little bit further in the episode because all of those points, super valid, and I agree with all of them. The thing that I can't get behind, I hate Dooku. And like, I feel bad saying it this way, but I think Dooku is a terribly lame villain. And I understand that he is so connected and he does do all of these things, but I, for the life of me, can't imagine not killing Dooku. Like... I feel like I would just be like, it would be a big Jedi party and everybody would have been in the room with Dooku, 23 Jedi, and no one saw a thing. But sure enough, he's beheaded as fuck. And like, I don't know how that isn't an earlier story in the show. And like, side note, anybody here who's a fan of the original Star Tours, just like think about the original Star Tours and watch the fourth episode of this. It almost plays out like perfectly. I really see where you're coming from on Dooku. He's like the worst parts of both Palpatine and Ventress without being able to achieve the good parts that either of them have. He's foppish, but he's not clever enough that he can get away with it. He's kind of mean, but like, he's also kind of pathetic, so he doesn't have anything to back that up either. He's just nothing. And... You know, it was on that subject that made me think about something else. Annie's predictability later on in this episode, through the eyes of the Emperor, is like the worst part of the Star Wars universe for me in a lot of ways. Coming to understand that Vader is essentially like, like you know, a, a little punk ass bitch compared to the likes of Palpy in like a lot of ways builds up Palpy but weakens Vader. Essentially, if you're saying that Palpatine is a more threatening villain than Vader, sure, but then the more threatening villain than Vader just took advantage of an emotionally disturbed child? Oh, I think everything since Return of the Jedi came out has basically been invalidating the legacy of Darth Vader as a villain, and I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. I think they've tried to ramp it back up recently. I think that's why we had the badass moment in Rogue One. I think that's why we are seeing a lot of Darth Vader merchandise lately, specifically with red eyes all of a sudden, to really ramp up what a villain the character is. But, you know, you need to figure out what you want your narrative for this character to be. It's really hard to play both sides. Is he a badass or is he tortured? You can't exactly play both sides of that forever. And you know what they don't play both sides of for very long? Grievous is just so pathetic. He literally throws droids out of the way when he could have just as easily like stepped past them or told them to move first. But he literally slows himself down to throw these droids out of the way. I also didn't know that they threw in Grievous saying hello there to Obi-Wan this early. I was kind of expecting it a little bit later if it was going to be done. But now in retrospect, I kind of should have expected it. And you know, you know what I didn't expect? I didn't expect the level of agency Padme had. I thought she really had a lot of strength and courage. I was so nervous she was going to be the damsel, but then she blew up her own fucking ship and made it on the run. And like, that's so awesome. And something that I honestly didn't know that Star Wars had in it to deliver on a consistent basis. And I'm loving it. I don't know how much of a featured player Padme is going to be in the series throughout, so I am hoping a decent amount. You know, I think this is going to be a huge cast of characters, so we can't expect to see everyone all the time. But I really hope that she makes more than just the occasional badass appearance. Now, other than the obvious, like the destruction of the malevolence that comes at the end, or Kevo, your amazing points about the real inconsistency with the way force powers work. I think the other thing I took from the episodes here were that droids really are only scary in large numbers. Anytime it's two droids, it's not that scary. Anytime it's four droids, it's not that scary. It's really only scary when it's like 4,000 droids. Otherwise, everybody seems fucking fine. You mean battle droids. Yeah, I get that. 
You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love hanging out with the clones. It's way more fun than I thought it would be. It's actually a feat that they've made me love these soldiers so much because I definitely eye-rolled at them pretty hard. Yeah, my opening note was, oh my god, they're listening to the radio and I love it and I love this music. Because I really did. I thought the music was really cute and I loved seeing more diegetic music in Star Wars. I don't think that we've seen nearly enough. I think music is a huge part of most cultures on our planet. I don't think that would be different in a galaxy far, far away. And, you know, one of the things I love about the reliability of the Star Wars universe is this remote outpost being so important is so, so, so Star Wars. I refer to them as the Star Wars sacred nothings, these super important things that are only suddenly super important. Like, what was the hell of the name of that thing, the the magical protractor she uses in episode nine? The Wayfinder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star Wars. Oh, and the Darksaber, which I'm, you know, criminally obsessed with. And, you know, Sith. Sith doesn't come up once in the original trilogy. So, like, I feel much like Star Wars loves its sacred nothings. It's not important until it's all there is. Okay. I don't really have anything to challenge that with. I also loved the consistency of the Annie narrative. He's not sleeping. He was pushing himself too hard for battle. That definitely connects with the overall Vader narrative. And I even like where this goes in that sort of, like, space just before the third movie. He's really starting to be pushed to his limits. He's starting to fuck up a bit. I genuinely forgot he was in the episode, except for at the very end. I was so focused on the Domino Squad and the Clone Troopers and seeing these characters that we got to know and seeing Cut Up get fucking eaten. I am so upset that that happened. I... I do not think I I do not think I recommend watching any amount of Star Wars in chronological order to people ever. Yeah, you know, I really found myself attached to the Domino Squadron and I mentioned it to friend of the pod Kyle and he was like, oh, wait, which ones? Oh, wait, who do you like? And ultimately he was like, no, 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 you like the ones that join here. And I was like, no, I liked all. Wait, no, that one's dead too. What the fuck is happening? This is like, and then there were none. They're just mismarpling everybody off. But apart from that being disturbing and once again being chock-a-block with Star Wars quotes, like, we're all fine here now, how are you? I enjoyed a lot of this episode. I thought it was cute to see the clone soldiers working what they know about battle droids against them. Roger, roger. That. I also love the performance of the clone droid mannerisms. When the droid was pretending to be a clone, his mannerisms were so ridiculous, it just really cracked me up. He was still very much moving like a battle droid in a highly comedic manner. And, you know, so the squadron winds up, Rex, who is the fucking coolest, Cody, Fives, Heavy, and Echo. And that's our new Domino Squadron. And I do like that. I enjoy the holding up of the droid head as a distraction. Um, And then Heavy dies. And I'm just like... Okay, because I was going to say, no, didn't Heavy blow himself up? I was... Very confused for a second. Yeah. 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 It's just like, don't get attached to anybody. We wind up with just Rex, Cody, Fives, and Echo, which I'm not complaining. The fact that Eliza Dushku showed up and reprised her role as Echo was just amazing. No, this is a different Echo. And other than the fact that I think all of their call signs are stupid. Mm. Don't tease me with things like that. I also don't love the fact that they call the battle droids tinnies a because it keeps sounding like they're saying titties and we've got those titties on the run is hilarious and b isn't tin like rare but i guess that's on earth and this isn't earth so i don't know anything well droids welcome to earth id4 reference really yes do you even like that movie you know i'll be honest my relationship with roland emmerich is 
fascinating. That's not what I asked. I think I like Independence Day, the the first one. I think I like it, but I don't want to watch it again. But then I watch it, and I'm like... Well, that's why I won't. Yeah. That's why I won't. Because do you know what didn't hold up for me? Memento. I've never seen it. Well, don't watch it like 11 times. I feel like we might have talked about this before, but that's fine. I wish I could memento myself memento so that it would be good again. Oh my god, it would make it fresh again. That would make it mementos. The fresh maker. I loved that this episode ended with the 501st. Yeah, I was going to say, that was a really cool, I don't want to say, yeah, I guess it's still a twist, even if it's not like an M. Night Shyamalan thing. No, truly. I don't think that we found out that any of the droids were dead the entire time, but it did turn out that the real ghosts were the friends we made all along. I would love to see a droid that's only fit on one side of its body. So my first note on this droid two-part story is that I'm actually a little frustrated that the character General Grievous was never really introduced to us. I understand that in the original trilogy, a lot of power positions were established when we came into it. But, like, I feel as though some of these players need to be new, you know? You know, I do. And let me tell you, that is why I got so excited about R3-S6 when he appeared. I started freaking the fuck out that this goddamn gold Zeo Ranger looking motherfucker droid shows up to make me happy. Just me. Me and only me. And then, no, he's a bastard. He's a bad, bad bastard droid. You know, and I feel like I should have known he was going to have to be evil from how awful Anakin was treating him. He already killed a bunch of fucking kids when he turned to the dark side. We didn't need to add he's also an asshole to droids to turn us against him. Him being mean to R3 had to lead somewhere. I thought it was going to be a very special blossom and he was going to learn a lesson about taking advantage of droids. This whole story is very special and precious and weird. And look, I understand that they were made like a decade apart and canon on R2-D2 has always been a little inconsistent. But in the last year, they put out a comic story where R2-D2, after C-3PO is taken by the Empire and the Rebels are sort of like, who cares, like takes on an entire Star Destroyer to get his friend back. And again, I know it's a comic book. We don't necessarily always take it as seriously. But look at all the fucking shit that we have seen R2-D2 do throughout the Clone Wars cartoon already and throughout the films. He can fucking fly. How the hell was he so easy? Easily captured. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was flames on the side of my face when he scraped off his own restraining bolt. No, no. Well, before we can get to that ridiculousness, I actually found myself pointing out that Anakin is not as irresponsible as everybody constantly wants to tell me Anakin is. And then, oh, nope, he was chasing off after Grievous by himself. Yep, there it is. There's that irresponsibility that we've all come to know and hate so much. And I still don't feel I have a full picture to understand the motivation or story behind it. But it's apparently deeply irresponsible not to be wiping his droid's memory. This is something that I have been reading about in Star Wars canon after Rise of Skywalker and this notion that you frequently wipe your droid's memory so that basically they don't develop a personality and either glitch or turn against you. And yet R2-D2 is a character that, from what we 
are aware, has not been wiped since the escape from Naboo in episode one. And that's a really interesting distinction. You know, I found myself shocked that I care more about clones than droids in this because I have so many droids to care about from the original and the prequels. But, you know, this whole idea that you're supposed to mind wipe your droids kind of explains why so many droids are, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like, blank and whiny, I guess? You know, I think that they have these disposable personalities is part of why the clones can do brilliant things with Anakin, like, hide on the asteroids. And the droids can't really provide that to Grievous the way clones can provide Anakin this sort of cleverness. I can see that. And not to harp back on the malevolence point, but the thing about losing R2 is we know he's not gone forever, period. That is it. Nothing else. We know he's not gone forever, period. And I also don't feel they did enough in these episodes to make me understand why Anakin is so attached to R2-D2 that he immediately busts out his lightsaber and starts breaking through doors. I care about the character, obviously, So, from my perspective, I would care if R2-D2 was kidnapped, but to these people, these things are basically appliances. He didn't see R2-D2 from the ages of 9 to 19 because R2 was with Padme, and... I just, I don't fully understand the attachment. Maybe it's something that R2-D2 represents the time when he was freed by Qui-Gon and this new life began. I don't know, but they really don't give us anything in the actual episodes other than, He's my friend! But then you're a dick to this other droid who, I'm sorry he's not as good as the one whose memory has never been wiped the way it's supposed to so that he can't learn as well as that droid can. But, like, it's only that good because you're a fuck-up. Speaking of fuck-ups, John C. Riley monster trying to cheat Grievous... Number one, saw it coming. Number two, saw his being impaled. Really didn't think he could have thought there was a better way that was going to go. Like, I was surprised nobody ever impaled Watto. Like, this, it's odd to me how many people are, like, shitbags in the Star Wars universe and no one kills them. But then we see things like the Mos Eisley Cantina, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, and bitches get shot there all the time. It's true. I think this is where Ahsoka really starts to become the Ahsoka that I keep being told she is. I'm excited to see her agency and her development. It's really funny that R2 breaking his shackles is like more agency than any woman had in the original trilogy. But Ahsoka really is providing me a really strong female voice in these these episodes in a way that I, I really react positively to. I'm really glad for it. This is another example, though, of me not really being clear on what age they want us to see Ahsoka as. Grievous scoffs and says they sent a child to destroy my station. He sees her as a child, too. So, like... And I just need to... On the subject of children, the droid torture scene was a fascinating way to get around having a torture scene in a children's program. You could do droid torture, and it's less horrifying, sort of like the nebula route in Endgame. It's kind of like, sort of not torture, because they're a robot, you know? Oh yeah, oh totally. Now, it is a little tough for me to accept how well Ahsoka does versus Grievous, but, you know, the fact that she just sort of, like, force floats her lightsaber to herself and Grievous is just like, oop-de-dope, oops. Uh, yeah, did he not already kill a bunch of Jedi and take their lightsabers? Are you trying to tell us that Ahsoka is this special, or that Grievous is this weak? 
it's kind of got to be one or the other. If it's Ahsoka is that special, just tell me in words. Like, make it clear that she is outperforming most other Jedi. In which case, I'm great with it. As it is, I love her, and the character is terrific. I'm not complaining about that. I do just feel like it's inconsistent. Which is also how I feel about R2-D2 then just suddenly being able to self-repair and put himself back together and go off and fight another R-unit and uh, murder it. That battle was everything to me. And I don't know how I feel about R2-D2 being bitchy to Anakin because he used another droid. I don't understand the relationship between the two of you. It is very Turner and Hooch if Hooch could be abusive of Turner. Which one is Hooch? I assumed Hooch was the pooch. Hmm. You know, we've watched about a season's worth between these seven episodes, the extra few we've watched, and the movie. You know, this is about a season's worth of Clone Wars. I like it a lot. I like what I'm seeing. I need a little bit more focus and yet less focus. Like, balance the new characters with the old characters. Give me some Asajj backstory. Help me understand Grievous. But I'm in for this ride. I agree. And as I said at the beginning, I'm glad we're going to still have a straight narrative for a little while now, especially with most of these stories being vignettes. I would like to see how the production team grows linearly for a little while as the program finds its legs and until this program finds its legs kevo where can everybody find you online you can find me on instagram and twitter at kevo really k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y and on the facebook page for this program husbands talking more or less at real nico kevo action you can also find the super cool super fun super inclusive superhero stories that we tell over at kidridecomics.com Nico, where can the folks find you? As always, you guys can find me all over this amazing network on HTML, as well as We Are Krakoa and X's for Podcast. Our X-Men feeds running Monday and Thursday. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram over at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back, guys, keep those kyber crystals burning. May the Force be with you and also your Force Ghost.